Welcome to the 41st episode of the Animal Riot podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer, Katie, here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now on to the episode with your hosts, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guests, Rax King and Devin Kelly. Brian Birnbaum. We're here today with Rax King and Devin Kelly. Rax is a dog-loving, hedgehog-mothering, which is actually literal, beer-swilling, gay and disabled bitch. that's Southern, I love it, <laughs> speaking of Southern, who occasionally writes poetry and works as an assistant editor for Sundress Publications, Sundress Publications, right? Did I get that right? Sun, sundress. 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 Like sundress. As in sundr- I, yes. I didn't know that was a one one word. Yeah, man. Amazing. Just the one. I write, actually. Like, <laughs> I'm known as a writer. She is the author of the collection The People's Elbow, 30 Recitatives on Rape and Wrestling, out with Ursus Americanus? Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. Fucking A. <laughs> killing it today. Which is also, like, one of the best titles I've ever... We discussed this once. The People's Elbow. Who is that? Is that... that is that Stone Cold? Uh, no. Excuse me, that is none other than Dwayne the Rock. Dwayne, Dwayne the Rock. Johnson. Johnson. Okay, yeah, that shows how little I know about wrestling. Despite the fact that we did our, we did a podcast with Ian, who said that <laughs> wrestling is modern Shakespeare. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. All yeah. right, we'll get into that in a little bit. Tight. Rax's work can also be found in Catapult, Electric Literature, and Auto Straddle. Devin Kelly, as you know, is the OG, but for old times' sake. Devin earned his MFA from Sarah Lawrence College, right? Yes. Everyone's excited. Yes, we are so excited. (laughs) And is the author of two collaborative chat books, as well as two collections of poetry, Blood on Blood. We'll get into that, too. You know. Some Bruce. Some Bruce. Okay. Out uh, from Unknown Press, and in this quiet church of night, I say amen with uh, CCM, as it's known among the cool kids, but also known as civil coping mechanisms. This episode's fuckery... I just thought of is brought to you by George, also from Sarah Lawrence College, who may or may not still be alive because Alabama lost last night. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. (laughs) Um, And Rax tried to teach someone Roll Tide in a British accent last night or sometime recent. I don't know. It was last night. He had a British accent. I wasn't doing a British accent. Yeah. I don't do that. Yes. Well, they were going to say it in a British accent. Because they're British. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they're British. (laughs) And so it's like saying people <laughs> evacuating a v- building when it's just a building being evacuated, okay. I guess. Okay. Because like. <laughs> people being evacuated aport- according to the wire is uh, yeah, is people getting in an enema. Which, so. What's the fuckery? <laughs> <laughs> the fuckery is Was whether George is alive or not. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So like occasionally we have to because th- I, think about because, that. Yeah. Let's read the text again. Bring that yeah. up. Uh, te- yeah. Bring that up. We'll, we'll just do that real quick. Sure. This is very important. So you might have a, have to file a missing persons uh, report. Seven oh nine p.m. Brian said, "Not looking good, George." <laughs> at seven eleven, George said, "We got it." <laughs> at seven fifty seven p.m., when it was over, mm-hmm. Brian said, it "Don't drink too much tonight, buddy." <laughs> and immediately after, George said, "Too late." And that's the last thing. We've that's ever, fucked up. That's, we haven't heard from him. The since death knell right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Let's talk about how you got this this catapult column. And and you say it you you say guy's name 
really fancily. I'm getting ahead of the gun here, but you no, know. I don't say it fancily. I you say do. it appropriately, the correct and, way, and Christianly. <laughs> uh, he pronounces it Fieri, so wow. I, oh, I must he does. Also, yeah. He always All introduces right. himself as Guy Fieri. All right. So it's respectful, actually. Fair what enough. I, do. Yeah. I don't feel good about it. It <laughs> sticks in my mouth. Every I still want to say Fieri. I know. Like, I, I do just too. want to. Like, there's, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, let's, let's talk about the essay because I read it recently. I thought it was amazing, actually. Um, oh. But you said you were surprised that it blew up. Why, why were you surprised? Well, let's talk about what it's about first. Yeah. For people who haven't read it. And you can read it. On Catapult, and it is called... It's called Love, Peace, and Taco Grease, which is something that Sir Fieri says often. <laughs> well, sometimes. That's like his mantra, his zen, like a sign his off. zen place. Yeah, yeah. yeah he like, like on his way into his Camaro to like leave your town, he'll say, love, peace, and taco grease. Pew! Yeah, yes. and he'll pew off into the sun. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And so my essay is about my obsession. Some might call it a dangerous obsession with Guy Fieri's show... Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, which sprang up, as it were, from from my marriage, which collapsed for many reasons, but partly because my husband was like a super dick to me about everything that I cooked for the two of us. And I was like a 21-year-old college student. I truly did not know dick about cooking. And his whole thing was like, you need to make me food regularly, and it needs to be good, and you need to do a better job than you're doing. And then my essay is about my journey from like being the meek little, you know, trying to be a housewife person to watching so, so much diners, drive-ins and dives <laughs> so much and realizing like it's actually not fucking important to, you know, learn the exact perfect French way to roast a chicken. You can just roast a chicken that you want to eat and then you can eat it. And that's all that has to be. So thanks, Guy Fieri, for mm. teaching me the way and the light. That's <laughs> what that essay is about. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I, f- I forgot if you put this in the essay, but did you start watching it immediately after, like, you left him, or? Yeah, pretty it much. Kinda, it was somewhat yeah. in reaction because when I was still with him, is when that New York Times review came out of mm. one of Guy Fieri's restaurants. And it, like it was lambasted it, right? Yeah, completely, yeah. and yeah. it was so mean. And <laughs> like I, I've said this before, but what the fuck was the New York Times restaurant critic doing? Yeah. Like visiting a Guy Fieri joint in Times Square that had like donkey sauce and chicken fingers on the menu. Like, what was any of that it sound, about? It sounds sadomasochistic. Yeah, yeah. like the you whole point I mean? was to yeah. write something bitchy that would be yeah. fun to read. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't care for that at all. And it reminded me very much of like being in my own home trying to cook a meal and my husband being hmm. like, you uh, yes, completely yes, yes, fucked yes. this yeah. up. And I'm like, why do you care? I'm so young and tired. And so then I, I ditched him. Because they, they review like Michelin star restaurants, yeah. right? Often. Yeah. So it's kind of like just, that, yeah, it was like sadomasochistic. That, yeah. that like, person, whoever that critic was, is a reprehensible person for doing that, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. Uh-huh. Because like you, you don't go in there... It's like reviewing a book. Yeah, you don't go in there thinking it. that... Like, that person probably went in there saying, like, I'm going to pan this of restaurant, course. and, like, right. I'm going to just, like, spend the entire time there, like, looking for shit that I can... You're you gathering know. evidence as a, as, at a crime right. scene, Yeah, you yeah, know? you yeah. have the guilty verdict already. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, and this was also, I think, 2012, which was... Pretty firmly, like, I think Guy Fieri backlash has quieted down quite a bit, but 
back then, it was super cool to hate on him because he was the guy with the bleached blonde mm, hair yeah. driving a red Camaro in a bowling shirt with flames on it. Oh, trust me, I did until I read the essay. So, <laughs> that is the highest compliment. Yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping that people read it and they're just yeah. like, I have been such a bitch to Guy Fieri. <laughs> I was on that, uh, what's his face, Hell's Kitchen. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. Gordon, Gordon Ramsay. Gordon, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, like, Who holds like a different I, kind of respect yeah, which, to my which, heart. Which, according to your essay would fucking trigger you, right? <laughs> that is, have you seen Hell's Kitchen? I have. No, I yeah. actually enjoy a Hell's lot of Kitchen. The, oh, yeah. you too? Because there's a lot of yelling and screaming. Yeah, yeah there's, there's some yell, But it's, I don't know, Gordon Ramsay, for all that... He's got a good heart. I think so. I he think does. that in like the the universe, the Gordon Ramsay universe, the Gordon Ramsay cinematic universe, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. he is like ultimately the good guy because all these people whose restaurants he's visiting and all these chefs that he works with are really trying to convince him that they know better than him mm-hmm. yeah and he's, he's there to help so he's yeah. a true anti-hero yeah. like in the most in the fullest sense of that word sure like he, yeah yeah he, he'll he'll yell at you and then he'll take you aside and be like listen you know what this is really what it was all about like all this intimacy <laughs> comes out it's beautiful yeah, yeah like uh, he's like the good he's like the good coach who yells at you and like and then you don't realize until eight years later you're like yeah that person caused a great deal of trauma in my life but like I am better for it, which yeah. like is perhaps not a good thing, but like <laughs> it still works. I don't think it is. Yeah, my JV basketball coach did that, and I don't yeah. know if I turned out all right. Yeah, <laughs> right. we all turned out pretty fucked up. But yeah, but, yeah, but calling him, calling your uh, your ex husband now, I presume. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Finally. Uh, yeah. Very soon. I, like, I heard you, a little. I heard a little bit about it. It was very pretty recent when it was like finalized, right? Yeah. So I left our shared house five years ago. But there's all this pain in the ass stuff surrounding getting a divorce. Like you have to be split up from each other in most states for at least a year. And then Mm. I moved up here right after. And you have to be a New York resident for, I think, two years in order to be able to start filing for things like divorce. Wow. So I had to wait even longer. And then I just could not get my shit together because I what I wanted was a lawyer so I wouldn't have to deal with them. And they're expensive. Mm -hmm. So it was just this year that I could even swing that. And yeah, we're there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's over. He like signed papers. I didn't think he would. So on my way out. Fuck yeah. I'm a divorcee now. Well, I was I was gonna say uh, calling him a dick for <laughs> calling him a dick for criticizing the way you make food sounds like a very sounds very euf- euphemistic, if not just like outright reductive compared yeah. to what what you allude to in the in the essay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just like the more whole there. the whole restaurant scene. Where you yeah. like don't get a, a burger instead of like salad. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that was the other, his other favorite thing was just like, you need to eat less food because because you're a girl and that's what girls do. Yeah, that's mm. wild. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you feel comfortable about this, but like, what do you look back and say, like, I know why I kind of met when I met this person, like this happened and like anything like that? Or is it kind of still? No, I, I know. And I'm I'm happy to talk about this stuff whenever because I because a lot of people go through this they do yeah Yeah. and I think a lot of us and myself included in this situation just launch ourselves into these really ill-fitting relationships Mm. and then continue trying anything possible to make them work rather than just cutting our losses and that's what happened here you know I, I had a crush on a hot guy and then I looked up two years later and I was like, Oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And you were young. You were very young. Was very young. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he had drugs, so that was <laughs> a perfect storm. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. God, I hope he hears this and he's just like, is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> we can send it to him. <laughs> and on a cassette tape. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, so that led to a, uh, so you wrote that for Catapult, right? That came I out did. at Catapult. And so they gave you a column. They did, yeah. So um, what's the what's the column about? And it does does it stem like directly from that theme? Or is it kind of just like, oh, you're... You're the shit, like, write about what you want. (laughs) Well, uh, not exactly that, although I'm really hoping to get to a point where people are just, like, throwing money, like, onto Mm -hmm. my person for me to just write 10,000 words about Bruce Springsteen or whatever. Mm -hmm. But we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it is the dream. So my editor at Catapult reached out to me to ask if I'd be interested in, in writing more, in doing more food writing. And at first, my thinking was like, I am so not a food writer. I genuinely enjoy instant ramen more than most other foods. Katie and I were just talking about that last night while we were at the ramen spot. It's fucking good. We were like, yeah, everyone ate instant ramen when we were kids. Did we even know this existed? (laughs) I didn't. Like fancy ramen? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and you know, part of that is... I am a white kid. Like, ramen was probably never going to be in my direct wheelhouse. But regardless, instant ramen tastes good as hell. And <laughs> I think that's, I think I'm valid for that viewpoint. <laughs> but my point being, like, I'm not a food expert exactly, except in really, like, lowfalutin types of food. And then I thought, well, no, that's probably good to have somebody writing semi-professionally about food who doesn't care about haute cuisine and who just cares whether food tastes good to the people who want to be eating it. Yeah, right. And so that's more or less what my column is about is like food television and class and working away from a haute cuisine framework and trying to instead back into a looser framework of like, this is what I want to eat. I'm going to shut my mouth and go with God because it's what tastes good to me. Yeah, sure, sure. Your most recent one was about Bobby Flay, right? Yes, um, my yeah. nemesis. Yeah. I, yeah, I haven't read that one yet, but I, I saw it's the good. I saw the title. It's like about hyper masculinity, right? Yeah, and I mean, I I do take celebrity chefs typically as like inspiration and emblematic figures that I can write about when I'm writing this column. Partly because they're an easy point of reference. So many people watch these shows or have watched these shows. And I'm typically a fan. I, I like a lot of celebrity chefs, even though I know that like, to be a celebrity anything is not a great thing to be. But their work has been important to me. But Bobby Flay, I fully do not fuck with. I think that all of his shows that I've seen are just him trying to like dominate people mm, and yeah. prove that he's the best. And even if it's tongue-in-cheek, I just am not about that. So 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 Gordon Ramsay without the moral underpinning is that yeah. is essentially what yeah. it is because I've never seen Bobby Flay before. Yeah, he's a chaos Ramsay. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. He has no reason to be like busting into other right. chefs. And he's kitchen. not he's not invested in other people's improvement, which you could argue Ramsay is. He's the New York Times critic busting into yeah sure Guy yeah. Fieri's restaurant and yeah. just being like, "This is everything you're fucking up," and that's it. And then he yeah. walks away. Okay, yeah, I see. Yeah. I see. Speaking of uh, what people want, <laughs> we have Bruce Springsteen <laughs> right in front of us, connected between two people. Yes, Bruce Springsteen is 
is in this bag of veggie crisps. <laughs> he's everywhere. Sitting, yeah, he's, he is he's in everywhere. everything we've just talked about. He is. Yeah. He yeah. is everything. He is. But yeah, so because because cry. Yeah, I know. Kevin and I, I just know. like <laughs> sat up straighter yeah. on hearing his name. But yeah, you guys have you guys have a very similar what do you call it sort of like approach in terms of titles for your two poetry books like Blood on Blood and uh, The People's Elbow. It's just like. I'm a Springsteen fan. I'm a you know re- the you know the rock or wrestling fan, whatever. Right. And yet, like the you know, it's poetry. Right. It's poetry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How did you guys come like you know come at it from this angle? I'm curious. And either one of you can start. I'm looking at you. So. Yeah, I know. Well, Blood on Blood only came out because Bud Bud Smith. I was at a reading with him, and I read some poems that I had written because I had been listening to Nebraska a lot, mm. which I do like probably every. Every like 18 months, like Nebraska comes on for like a, a month. Sure. Um, and so I'd written some poems and then he was just like, hey, I like those Springsteen poems. Like you should write a book about them. And then like I have a press that that occasionally puts out books and we'll, we'll make it a book. And I was like, that sounds great. And so, yeah, like I Blood on Blood comes from the song Highway Patrolman, which is a as a top 10. That's a top 10 Springsteen song. We can get into Maybe it. we should do that. I think we, yeah, we can talk oh, about that yeah. later. But yeah, he has he has a line where he says, me and Frankie laughing and drinking, nothing feels better than blood on blood. And so like used it, I used the song and the album as a way to talk about like that, that song in particular, which I think like is like probably when I'm 60 and, and failing in everything I tried to do, <laughs> I will write like the novel version of that song about, about uh-huh. Frankie and... But I used the singer's relationship in that song with Frankie as a way to like talk about my own relationship with my brother yeah, um, yeah. and my family. And I think I'm Frankie in that relationship. Yeah. And so like then it like, and then when you spend a lot of time with Bruce, <laughs> as one does and should, <laughs> you realize like that like Bruce spends a lot of time with, with that shit. Like, because like there are, Nebraska is arguably his best definitely one of his best albums and one of the best albums ever because it's like so richly layered with like all these stories and like what i think most about bruce and i'll change this as i talk about him but like i think he gives people a lot of permission to talk about things especially things that feel like outside the self which is why like he's beyond criticism because he i think he spends so much time with this like People every once in a while will be like, yeah, like Bruce Springsteen, he's not like a factory guy. Like he's not the characters in his song. But he talks about that too. Like in his, in, in Springsteen on Broadway, he talks about that. And like, he's a testament to just like, there are themes, there are universal themes in every specific thing. And like, if you trust that like you are coming from a place of, of goodness, then like you can explore those things, even if they feel outside the self. And I think like that's, a thing that he does. It's actually like also super relevant to what's going on in writing today. Sure. Um, like, yeah. Uh, like, have you have you guys read the um, Zadie C- Zadie Smith essay that came out recently? Yeah, like a month ago. I haven't. Actually. It's basically about how you know it's it's being called into question whether you can write from another perspective, you know, oh, other right. than kind of like your own, you know. And so Bruce, I don't know, it maybe is ahead of its ahead of his time in that way. Uh, but music is a really different medium because if you write a whole novel, like if I'm a if I'm a white Jewish person and I write a novel from like a black woman's point of view, you know, I think that's uh, a little more intimate. I don't want, I don't know. I don't sure. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, I think what it's Bruce little, what Bruce is is he's never like exploitative. Like you never get the sense yeah. when you listen to him that like he is doing it 
as a gimmick, which I think, you know, like, it, and it's hard to, it's hard to touch on why this feels so true with him, like how you know it, but like, you can tell he cares so much and so deeply. And in the end, everything does relate back to him. Like everything yeah. is like a way, like he talk, he talks a lot. He talks at length in like interviews and things about like his father and his boyhood. And like his father is very much like, his father's a character in a Bruce Springsteen song. His father is very much like, when you listen to him talk about his father, like his father is, you know, darkness on the edge of town or factory yeah. or promised land. And so like it both is outside the self and both like very tied to the self. Mm. Yeah, I think he's really got a got some kind of strong empathy muscles mm -hmm. because he anytime he writes into a perspective that's not him, like that the song that was on the Philadelphia soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, fuck me, I forget what it's called and I've heard it. Streets of Philadelphia. Times. Yes, thank you. Like that's about as far from his own perspective yeah. as I think he's written music, that's the perspective of a gay man like on his way to his deathbed during the height of the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. That's fully not yeah. Bruce Springsteen's experience. Mm -hmm. But he's such an empathetic songwriter and he, he never seeks to like write in another voice, I don't think, or to to write even in another perspective so much as he seeks to find the place where he can relate to a person who's not like him and and mine that for the human experience that is shared there. Yeah. And I think that's a really common thing with a lot of his songs that are from points of view that he obviously doesn't share, from a lot of songs from the perspective of working people or any number of other types of people, from women even. Like, that's where his songwriting strength lies, I think. Yeah, like he got a lot of, like people don't talk about this anymore, but when Amadou Diallo got shot, he was a, a black boy from Brooklyn, got shot, I think, in by the cops in like the early 2000s. And this is on like his live in Madison Square Garden album. He wrote a song called 41 Shots and it's like 11 minutes long, it's so long and performed it that's like Jimi hendrix uh what's that vietnam song he has machine gun mm. yeah yeah and he performed it live and he released it like as a single or something and announced that he was going to perform it live in madison square garden and rudy giuliani and uh, called on everyone to to boycott the concert and like cops spoke out against him and then he still played it and like and like he has as i think as rack said like and it's it's a really good song because it's simply about like being a witness to something rather than like trying to do it just it is it's like he the song is good because Bruce obviously thought about like what the most organic and true to him access point to this kind of tragedy that was outside himself and it's also good because like he's he was also at that point a man with a lot of power who represented like the thing that's complicated about Bruce Springsteen is that like red state blue state whatever the fuck there are like a shit ton of people who love him mm -hmm. and there are probably a shit ton of people who love him who, very, vote, who voted for donald trump and like yeah. you, he's and, a very bipartisan fan base yeah. yeah and like you get people like reagan using born in the usa which is a protest song as like his like as his one of his staple campaign songs and so like um but bruce is still like deeply political like he yeah. he will do things like like play that song at madison square garden and I think that, like, also to Rax's point, what's funny is, like, I think Bruce's worst songs, like the <laughs> entire album Lucky Town, which is just bad. It's, like, not, it's not good. Like, come from 
they're bad because it's like Bruce is actually singing about himself without any like a lot of those songs are just like really self-serving and yeah. like I think he was going through a, a relationship troubles or, or like a divorce. I forget what's prompted that album, but like they're self-serving and they're selfish and they're not really about anything, even though they are about him. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, like even his other big like breakup album, so yeah. to speak, Tunnel of Love, I think is so good because... Tunnel of Love is amazing. Yeah, and all those songs aren't just, you know, my relationship is ending, woe is me. It's very like we mutually are having a failing relationship mm-hmm. and like let's explore what can go wrong between two people. Like yeah. Anytime he's at his best, he's in this very mutual headspace of like you and me and what the problems are. Yeah. I think I realized as an adult when I realized that Tunnel of Love is a really good album. I know, because it like, doesn't sound was, like When him. I was like 16 or 17 and getting really into Bruce, I'd always like, would play a bit of Tunnel of Love and be like, yeah, this shit sucks. And then, yeah. like, I turned, like, 25, and I was like, oh, my God, this shit is so good. It's <laughs> like, so it's good. So sad. I want to ask great. a question, and let's see if we can reconcile from something else we were talking about earlier. I, much to Katie's, uh, sorry, our producer, Chagrin, have recently become a really big fan of shit country music, like shit you hear on the radio, like, okay. you know. Like Red Solo Cup. Like truck. all that shit. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And so like, I do feel like there's an element. Okay. So like, let's, let's make, let's make a, an organizing principle between Bruce Springsteen and Guy Fieri here. Bruce okay. Springsteen <laughs> sounds like, like a quality, like farm to table, like American restaurant, right? Like you get like a really good burger there, really good ribs or some shit like that. You know what I mean? Okay, sure. But like shit country music is kind of like Guy. Guy Fieri, like restaurants. Like junk food. And sure. I fucking love it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the but line. that shit's not sincere. It's not. Like a lot of these people are like not, they don't own their Chevy trucks. They don't like drink Bud Light. Yeah. They're, right. they're rich as fuck. Yeah. They got like a home studio in their, in their basement. You can like, say dr- that about Bruce too. I mean, mm-hmm. he isn't he lives, working in a factory. Yeah, he lives on a. But a that's state. what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So that's my question: is like, where's the line? Like, where's the authenticity line? Yeah. Right. I think. Like, where's it okay to say like I'm gonna make this song, and use these words, like you know, what's that? What's that? I don't. You know. You know. Like you just said, fucking. You name a few things in a country song. Bo Bo Bur- Burnham did it best in his like his latest special where he, he did this song called Pandering. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. No. Bo Burnham's this comedian and like he wrote he writes songs like for his sets. Yeah. Yeah. And there's he has this song called Pandering that's this fucking unbelievable pop country song that's like so well written. And it hits like all like the And it's the like cliches, it's and yeah, it's like all the tropes. And the thing is like I love it. Like if they yeah. played it on the radio, I'd love it. But so like, yeah, but what but maybe like that's what matters is just that you love it. Like it, Yeah, exactly. It, like to me, to me. So what? So what about? I guess my question is, where does it come in that the empathy that Bruce has matter? Like, where does it come in that it matters? You mm. know, like what makes him so good to everyone? And so, like, why should people like Guy Fieri? You know, why shouldn't they? Or why should they? <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to ask here. You know what I mean? I, like, because I hated him until he, I read your essay, and yeah. then I was like, "Oh, well, this really helped someone." I kind of like him now. Well, maybe that's like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I hear you. And um, you can also point to Bruce Springsteen's career trajectory and to, you know, his 
politics to an extent and his effects on American pop culture over the past, what, 30, 40 years, and see some good that he's really brought into people's lives. He has so, so many devoted, loving fans who turn to him for wisdom on every little thing. And part of it, I think, and I'm not familiar enough with pop country probably to say this with much security, but there's not that longevity of a tradition there. It kind of sprung up as, you know, let's pander to what we envision as red state yokels with this, like, tractor red solo cup stuff Mm -hmm. and just try and make a dollar. And you can't look at that tradition and say, this has been bringing good into people's lives for 40 years. You Mm -hmm. can just say, like, this is glossy and easy to listen to. And, you know, it's one of those things you can have it on in the background and ignore it if you want, or you can sing along if you want. It's very passable. Mm -hmm. And you can really ask yourself convincingly, what is the point of this existing in a way that even if you really don't like Bruce Springsteen, you can't ask that question and not have an answer, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm torn because to me, the question is simply about like, what is what good is like there's something implicit in your question which is essentially like what good is criticism if like if something serves every if something if something has a purpose if something serves a purpose for a singular person Mm -hmm. like what good is criticism then because like this because a person was sort of changed for the better by this thing whether or not like critically it is um of any like sort of higher merit and like that's i think it's a hard question to i don't know if there's an answer to that question i do know that like when when i was on a like a tiny book tour with bud and our friend michael bible who's a great writer we were listening as we were driving from West Virginia to Asheville. We were listening to like this pop country station, and it was the first time we heard this Blake Shelton song called "I Lived It," which is such a good song. Yeah, is that the song we played over and over? Yeah, that one and time? it's the one. It's the one that like has the it's lines amazing. like "Just taking my mind for a visit back in time because I miss it," and it's like, yeah, like <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's a good ass line, and like yeah. so like th- it's like every once in a while you're just like you encounter, and it's like you can listen to Toby Keith and Garth Brooks, and like Garth Brooks is probably a, a better example. I don't know his repertoire really intensely, but like Toby Keith and Garth Brooks have been at it for a long time, and like yeah. are sort of you know like and Blake Shelton as well, and there's definitely some pandering in their songs, but there's definitely some, there's still like a reason for mass adoration. And like, I'll stick to that. Like there's definitely like people only become like unique, like adored by a large group of people if they are doing, well, I don't want to say if they're doing some good, but if they are appealing to that large group of people um, in some way. And like, you know, and that, like that opens the door for a lot of, you know, more serious conversations about things like politics. Exactly. That's scary. That, um, that's what I was thinking yeah. about because like when we start that, when we start talking about this, it's basically like if we're talking about what's good for people and what's not, obviously no one can ever, not everyone can agree on that. Sure. Yeah. We all don't agree at this table that, but that's, that and, Donald Trump is not good for America, Yeah, but, but he's, he, he pandered to a lot of people or, you know, it, that, that's a pejorative from my, you know, that's my perspective, right? Sure. He pandered, but like, he won over a lot of people, right? Sure. So, like, it's it is really it's an important question because, like, but yeah, I don't know the answer to it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't think it's inherently good or bad to be able to win over people. I just think that, you know, if something wins me over, obviously, then I am amenable to it, which sure. certainly is something that happened with Bruce Springsteen, and is also the case for a lot of country western 
type stuff, pop country included. And especially someone yeah. like Guy Fieri, we can agree he's not a demagogue, you know, like right. he's not, he's, he's not, not out there hurting people, you know. Right. Uh, but know, I, there it, are people who think that, you know, anything popular is inherently poisonous. Right. Mm-hmm. And like anybody who achieves that tier of celebrity is inherently poisoning the culture mm-hmm. it's just like by pe- being so visible, but which a, makes yeah. sense to me. And I, on some level, agree with. But at the end of the day, you know, we see the things that are shown to us. We see whatever is the most visible. Mm-hmm. And we kind of have to make decisions on that basis of like of all these things that are presented to us. What are we okay with? What are we against? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the best comparison to Springsteen in the food world is slash was Bourdain. Yeah. Um, like, and Bourdain died uniquely adored as well for like similar, like I think Bourdain's relationship to food is very similar to like Springsteen's relationship to the to the characters fictional or otherwise in his songs, which is just like, when you watch Parts Unknown, like you saw someone who cared so much about food, but then so much about like the place he was in and like yeah. doing doing yeah. right by it. Like another, I, I another can't watch by Bourdain anymore since he no, died. It's really neither. hard. That was actually one of the very few celebrity deaths that, uh, especially suicides, that I, I actually was like just rattled by. Same. He died yeah, like a was, month after my dad did, and it fucked me right up. I was just yeah. like, yeah. is it ever gonna stop? Jesus. Yeah. That was the first time I met, you read you read the Bourdain poem about your father. Oh yeah. And that was I think the first time I met Rex. Um, it was yeah. at the Flapper House reading. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, yeah, I mean Bourdain was like losing Bourdain is like oh yeah like. It's hard to live in a world where that person doesn't exist, mm-hmm. like showing us a better way to live in this world. Well, also, um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but Chappelle has a new special out. And right at the beginning, he talks about it's a basic it's almost like this parable told in obviously like extremely funny way. He's the fucking man. But like he talks about his friend who had all these aspirations, I think, to be like a high powered lawyer or something. Basically, long story short, he ends up working at Burger King. But he's like happy now. And then, but he's talking about how Bourdain got to this place where you, he had this life that everyone would want, you know, everyone. And he ends up how he ends up. But I don't know if there's an element of, uh, I guess what the reason I bring that up is like, I don't know if there's an element of suffering you need to go through. I don't know Springsteen's story that well. Did he come come from? He doesn't come from a relatively traumatic. He comes from like what I would imagine as like a typical sort of like lower middle class New Jersey, like son of a factory worker, like grew up near church, like Catholic and like parents. Mama's boy. Yeah, mama's boy. His dad was hard on him. Like, because that's kind of how his music sounds to me. Yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's an, a, a place of empathy that doesn't necessarily come from suffering. That's no, I and I, up, I think it know? comes from a place of like. Other than human condition. Just like truly like, yeah. like whether through ed- education or through simply being alive or through the people he knew, like I think suffering like hot wires, like to some extent going through some sort of suffering that you can overcome, like sort of hot wires this into your brain. But like, I think if you're given enough time and space to just observe the world, mm-hmm. then like you will begin to think about like what, the purpose of the world is and like what purpose like the people in the world serve um or if you have like i i also hear in bruce's songs and like he's admitted this like this sort of just like i like sort of cliche but like i'm doing all this shit to make my dad proud (laughs) like 
because he didn't give me the like as much of the attention I wanted. And like, I, that's why like one of my favorite moments in any Springsteen song is from like the the live seventy five eighty five album, and he's playing. I forget what he's playing. It might be growing up. It, he always tells this story with growing up about like taking his guitar and. But there's a song on that album where his mom and dad are in the audience, and he says like, he's like, my mom and my pa are here tonight, um, and he's like, such your Springsteen, yeah. Um, he's like, and then he's just like, now do the Roll Tide and Springsteen, Springsteen voice. <laughs> but yeah, he just like, he says something like, you didn't think I'd be a rock star and. Hey ma, hey pa, like I'm a rock star now. <laughs> like, it's like something like that, and it's like I love it. At that point, he's probably only like he's probably my age. He's probably like 27, 28, and like killing yeah. it. But like, and riding that high of, of being like truly being a rock star because that was like at the Roxy Theater in L.A. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, it's like it's as simple I think as like trying to make the people who you love proud of you, and mm-hmm. and like. And observing the world and trying to find meaning in it, um, I think suffer like yeah, you like I've gone through moments of of, of trauma and, and the first things that make you think of is like what what is the purpose of any of this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then you start writing or you start doing something or you start escaping. Like you do a lot of things to cope, and like a lot of those things to me are either to escape the world because you have determined it has no value or meaning, or to like dive in even further into the world to just like insistent to find some meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a happy balance of that is the healthiest. Because yes. if you keep going deeper, you end up oh, it's a rabbit that like you know loosened tie, or you know like journalist who's like up at two o'clock in the morning burying into their story deeper. Yeah, like drinking or or you know you gotta escape a little bit. But uh, something I want to go back to because you just said that 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 anecdote about Springsteen made me think of something that Rack said a little bit earlier. You kind of really quickly mentioned about celebrity being a celebrity sucking <laughs> about being a celebrity yeah you sucking. said being a celebrity anything kind of sucks oh, okay like did you ju- were you just referring to kind of like professional celebrities like like chef celebrities or did or were you kind of like referring to like being a celebrity in general i don't necessarily think that this is the fault of people who become famous but we do have this tendency to really lionize people solely because they're visible and they haven't done anything wrong Hmm. And I don't. I also think that you don't really. Or that become, we don't know that they've done right. Yeah, wrong, like, which they have. They're people. Sure. Like, yeah. You know, they, yeah. And everybody's a fuck up. But yeah. you know, we see people succeeding on this really high level, and we we take the bits and pieces that we really like mm-hmm. and incorporate them into our impression of them, and don't really let ourselves think like this is just some person. And moreover, this is a person who's probably had to elbow some other people out of the way in order to achieve this position. And we we don't want to think that about Mm -hmm. the people that we admire. And I think it becomes complicated for us underlings because, you know, we want to be able to admire people who create something that's important to us. But I also think that we, our instinct is to let them off pretty easy and to not interrogate this notion of, you know, this is somebody who's become really, really visibly successful under capitalism, and that's not something you can do without dicking over a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's like, even if we do think about that, we get into this really truculent headspace of, like, well, I don't care. You know, everybody's done something wrong. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't think that's so helpful. And I think that to the extent that celebrity culture is a huge part of our lives and is not going away, we need to be a little more mature about that and say to ourselves, like, just because someone has made something important to us, just because someone is a figure that we genuinely admire, doesn't mean that they are a figure of, like, perfect valor. Yeah. I think we need to ditch that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And on the flip side, I, I think that what happens on the other side is that, like, when something happens and someone someone does something like someone divorces someone or some like something comes out about someone and everyone then goes oh this is a very bad person you know it is it seems so binary to me when someone is yeah. visible yeah. like that you know to me it introduces like that in particular introduces more so than what we were talking about earlier about like pop country introduces to me the importance of criticism and that like mm. I don't think there are many popular models of criticism that are, like, nuanced and thoughtful enough that, like, I mean, this is me as, like, a a high school teacher speaking to my students, but, like, if you model something well for people, then, like, it can become an important part of the way they view art or the way they view life, and there are not any really, as far as I know, not, like, many good popular models of, like, what criticism looks like, and, like, it would... Celebrity culture would be a much more interesting thing, the way we approach it, if, like, if criticism was, like, very nuanced and, like, uh, not just, like, pointed out the good with the bad, but, like, if people were given models of criticism where it's, like, from the get-go, they're being introduced to conversations about, like, popular celebrities or popular artists or popular authors that, like were actually forms of criticism, which is like an acknowledgement of value plus a critique of that value or a critique of the work. And like now criticism is either just like glowing pandering Mm -hmm. or negative pandering. Like Mm -hmm. the person going into Guy Fieri's restaurant saying like, I'm going to pan the shit out of this or like a blurb for a book that says like, this is lyrical, heartfelt and and, and, and achingly (laughs) stunning. And it's just like, yeah, great. Like, so is literally everything. And like, that does nothing for me. And, and like, it would just be a much more interesting world to live in if we knew. And I think we do know this, but like, if, if the model for the way we talk about these things was not about good or bad, but was just simply about like continuous critiques Mm. and like criticism is like a dirty word now. And it's like, it's an, I'm not saying I want more negative reviews of things. I just want more like reviews that are just like, yeah, like I, I would love to read a 10,000 word essay about like the complex like underpinnings of Bruce, Bruce Springsteen's psyche. And like, and I, I, there is definitely someone who can write a really thoughtful argument for like the harm Bruce Springsteen has caused. And I will be like one of the first people to read that because like sure. that will deepen my understanding of him and like will probably make me both appreciate like my appreciation of him will be like greater because I have now like introduced a a critique of him mm-hmm. and it's like you like I tell that to kids all the time when I teach like when we teach a book it's just like you don't have to like this like yeah. you don't but like in fact I'm more invested in your conversation if you can just tell me why you don't like it and I guarantee you that by like talking in depth about why you don't like this thing, you will become more engaged with it. Rather than simply saying, like, this is trash. Like, I'm not going to read it. It's like, no, like, approach it from, like, I I respect your opinion more than I respect the book. And so, like, I just want to hear your opinion about why you're you're saying this is trash. And, like, and then, like, comb through the book and, like, 
point out, you know, anyway, we just don't value that that much. Like, and that's like a, another interesting, like the lionization of celebrities and like the d- the disposability of celebrities too is really interesting. Yeah, I think what gets lost in the word criticism is like it's more critical thinking than criticizing something, you know, yeah, um, and, sure. and being open-minded at the same time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So like the whole, as much as I love the source growing up, like the hip hop magazine, like, you, like basically like if, if you got a five, if you got five mics, it was a classic album. Like, nice, I think the whole rating mics. system is just kind of like stupid, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, okay, you're telling me that everyone should think this is a five mic album, you know? <laughs> and then everyone agrees on it. They're like, oh yeah, Illmatic by Nas. Like that's a five mic album. And like, sure. Like, but like, let's be real. Like, it's not going to work out like that in everyone's head. Anyways, I was wondering if you guys wanted to read it all. Oh. Yeah, like whether poetry or, you know, something like that, you know? I mean, we have Rax's book right here. Yeah. Oh, shit. We do, we do have that. We have a copy of the book. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, who's going first? You need me, money, Mo. Do you want to rock, paper, scissors for it? Sure. Let's flip that cap. Yeah, no, we'll rock. <laughs> we'll flip a coin. Okay. <laughs> Unless you want rock paper scissors. Kind of want to rock paper okay. scissors. Okay. Yeah, and does the, the the winner winner? Oh yeah. Uh, and is it one two three? Shoot! shoot. <laughs> it's on rock paper <laughs> scissors. Shoot. Okay. Okay. And the yeah. winner goes Set. second. It's obvious that the winner goes second, yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> rock paper scissors. Shoot. <laughs> Great. I'll go first. <laughs> Undefeated. Um, I don't know which one to read. Um, I'll read. This is the first poem I wrote about Bruce Springsteen, so it's like like five years old. And it's not explicitly about Nebraska. This just made it in because it's called While Waiting to See Bruce. (laughs) After the tanker exploded, moving north on 95 and the back up to the stadium stretched for miles, I sat still in the back seat with Sean and Vince at 17, thinking how my face would change if Springsteen played I'm on Fire or something softer, that one about the brothers off Nebraska where Joe Roberts chases Frankie past the state line. I do not have a shortwave or a car to call my own, only a brother who lives at home with my father and works most days and keeps softly to himself. The line inched toward the potential sound, and soon enough we were still children, listening for hours to a man far below. My brother was not there. And he does not know that sometimes, even now, I walk alone and think of him, a runner, his chops dried, turning around the tracks where we raced, the final lap, chasing strangers down the home stretch. I loved him then, those long spring days under stretching sun, and I think now I must have thought him some sort of angel, gifted beyond belief. I should tell him this, over the phone. Or years from now over beers at a bar where we might meet both living on our own. Or while our grandchildren linger in a room beside the one where we sit. Our gap in age indifferent to the years. Bruce still playing on a radio. The song I wanted years ago having chased us down. Mm. Oh, I love that, Devin. Thanks, Rax. I'm gonna cry. That uh, it made it makes me remember. I remember the book launch. Devin's brother cried. When oh, yeah, he, when he read, he didn't know yeah. that the book was dedicated to him, and then he started bawling. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Of course, it was beautiful. 
It was good. He has his own apartment now, so he's he's doing great. Yeah, you guys are living yeah. on your own. Yeah, he is. Living yeah, on your own, meeting up for we beers. Yeah, we, we've had a few <laughs> beers before, and and so and that's that's the good thing about poems is you actually don't have to tell people things to their face. <laughs> like, I love that. You, you can just be like, but here, like read this thing. Like, I live for that. Shit. Yeah, that's it's how just I, like, feel I assume about you. you read it. And if you didn't read it, you don't care about me. So. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Just gonna assume that you know what I'm trying to say to you. Ah <laughs> like, uh, man, yeah, being fucked up people. That's yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah know it's what like that's actually like. terrible relationship work. It's no, just like, it's... no, it's like don't say things to people's faces. Yeah, write much. them down on private and like yeah. keep the the veil of vulnerability. Yeah, keep it all just yeah. Bottled or sometimes up. I'll tell people I wrote a poem about you, <laughs> yeah. and they'll yeah. either say show it to me or they'll be like, why? Yeah, because <laughs> I care about you. Oh, yeah, because I have all these feelings. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> all right, now you have to read yours, Rax. I know yep. that's the law of the rock paper scissors that we just yeah. had. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is about my dad and also Anthony Bourdain. Oh, I talked about this like five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anthony Bourdain died just after my father. Now nobody is left who can teach me steak. This was in Barrel House last year. The cook time is evolving. The time is constantly evolving. Do not fucking touch it. Skin like the buckling of old grass. No food isn't a poem. Pepper and the chili shell, broken beans. Evolution is the cook time. The cook time is the evolution. Meat thinks how flesh thinks, how body thinks, how leather remembers the stink of the barnyard, how I can force my hands to work when they're bloody, how prisoners and the dead recall the way they liked their eggs. Please grab the world and never ungrab it. Please slice into steak too fast and turn the whole world red. Do not fucking touch it, and I never did. Touch me, and I'll touch back. One day, a man I loved was muck and clay. The brain is a devastating accident. Nobody ever had a mind too fine to feed buzzards and worms. Meat can be so live it doesn't get cooked. Tonight I dine on kid skin and calflings. No, I haven't fucking touched it. Mm. Mm. The brain is a devastating accident. Yeah. I like that. I was in all of my feelings when I wrote that poem. <laughs> it's actually really true, though. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading this brain book, and they call the mind a kludge, which is basically a word for like... That's a word? Kludge? Yeah. yeah. Sounds... It's like something... It's a word for something that like works really well but is put together really like shoddily like evolution made our brains like stacked it like ice cream it's Hmm. not like we re like there's like we did more threw another scoop on there yeah we didn't renovate what was going on earlier but anyway i still like the line thank you (laughs) on its own terms i knew all of that this poem poem is actually called kludge (laughs) yeah yeah that was great thank you guys all right i think we're good right is there anything you guys are burning to talk about? You should buy my book. Yeah, do that. Do that thing. It's called The People's Elbow, and you should pay legal tender and then receive it in the mail. <laughs> nice. Where? Where can they buy it? Oh, right. You can get it from my publisher, Ursus Americanus. It's also in McNally Jackson for sure. I think maybe The Strand, a couple bookstores in Chicago, because that's where my publishers are based. And... 
I'm going to be getting more copies soon, so you can DM me on Twitter and buy one for me if you promise not to make it weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's happened. Oh, yeah, we forgot to talk about that. We'll talk about that next time, <laughs> the weirdness of Twitter. We had both of you guys here. We didn't talk about the weirdness of Twitter. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, we have different polls of Twitter here. Yeah. yeah. Devin has a much better Twitter we were talking, than I we, do. <laughs> we were talking about that before you showed up. We were like, yeah. Devin has the like most peaceable Twitter experience, <laughs> while Rax has the most like polemic. Chaos, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine's just chaos day in and day yeah. out. Mine is just a... Uh, Oh, oh, yeah. At Rax King is dead, right? Oh, yeah. That's my username everywhere. You can also follow me on Twitter if you promise not to make that weird either. Because <laughs> then you'll screenshot it and you'll make it weird for everyone. Someone's yeah. good for everyone. Good for everyone else involved. I'm going to ruin Devin's day specifically yeah. if you make it weird. Yeah. Listener. Please don't make my day weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Devin's worst experience to, was uh, when everyone thought he was the mass shooter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The worst day of my life. That was literally, it's been two years ago to the day. Yeah. Was that actually the worst day of your life? No, it was not uh, the worst day. <laughs> that was when I realized the internet. That was, it's a mark of privilege that like it took a, a white male church shooter for me to like realize that the internet was a terrible place <laughs> who had my name. <laughs> so people don't DM you every day asking for like pictures of your feet? No. How often? No, they don't. Yeah, it was just it was just only that one day. Now you're where just people, now you're just yeah. rubbing it in. Yeah, <laughs> it was only just yeah. that, that one day where people DM me asking me uh, why I my my Twitter experience is just thirst liking shit so that people will follow me. Mm. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna sign off. Is everyone prepared for that? Yeah. Yeah. Goodbye. Good. 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 That was oh. fun. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the close. Oh, oh, yeah. Jesus! Yeah. Oh, that's well, just meant. just give me a fucking second. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Animal Riot Press or through our website AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 41st episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with your host Brian Birnbaum and featuring Rax King and Devin Kelly. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay. This episode was edited by our podcast assistant, Dylan Thomas, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals.